0: So last week we saw this incredible passage in Revelation chapter 4, this glorious picture of, of heaven. There's a door that John sees. and It's an open door and so he gets a peek into this door and it leads him to heaven. And in this vision he sees there are 24 elders that represent the entirety of the people of God, 12 tribes of of, of Judah and also uh, the, the 12 uh, apostles in the New Testament. So in total there's 24 elders we also see the four living creatures the mightiest creatures um, that represent all of creation and at the center of this all we see a throne and on this throne There is only one person who sits alone, that is God the Father in glory, in splendor, in majesty, he is clothed in all power and glory and authority. There is no one like him. We see that the four living creatures, these mighty creatures, they cry out day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The 24 elders, they fall down on their faces. They have their mini-thrones, they have their small crowns, but they, they realize that they're so unworthy compared to the one on the throne that they fall on their face and they lay down their crowns. And there's endless praise that goes on in chapter 4. What a scene, right? What a glorious scene. We we can't wait to be there one day, to be in the fullness of of God's presence. But as glorious as this is, as awesome as chapter 4 is, this is simply a setting for the drama that's going to unfold in chapter 5. So notice what happens, then I, John, saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. So remember, John, he's on this island, he is in exile, and yet he's having this tremendous vision, he just saw really what heaven is like, the throne of heaven, and now he, he sees something else, he sees this squirrel, this interesting squirrel, and keep in mind, um, back in John's time, they didn't have books like we have right now. They don't have, like, bindings and, and that it's good for folding. They have these things called scrolls where you would take a long piece of paper, you write on it, and you would roll it up. And at the end, because, you know, the end is kind of, it's, it's not tight, you would seal it with hot wax and you would kind of make a print with a signet ring or something else so that it will be closed, and so that not everyone would read it. Only the people who are uh, able to read it, who who are given the authority to read it, they would read it. And if it was open, then you would know that it was tampered, that you would know that someone tried to mess with this document. Now, this scroll that that we see in Revelation chapter 5, the scroll that's in the right hand, the mighty hand of the one who sits on the throne, who is God the Father— it's unique in two ways. First, notice that there is writing front and back, which is very unusual. Because it's common sense, right? You're going to roll it up. And so you don't want letters to be on the outside. And also just in a t- for technical reasons, um, people back in the day, did, they only wrote on, on one side of the scroll but we see here, it's, it's written all over the scroll, front and back. And there's only two reasons why you would do this. First, you are dirt poor. And so you can't afford another scroll, another document. So you, you just try to fill up as much space as you can with this one document. The other reason would be that whatever you're trying to say, the message is so whole. It is so complete that you... It shouldn't be separated into two books or versions that you want to make sure the entire message, it stays together. And that's why you would write it front and back. And it's hard to imagine that God can't afford another scroll, right? So whatever is in this scroll, we see that the message that is in this, it's, it's in its fullest form. That It is complete. There is this fullness about this message. And the second thing that we see about the scroll is... It's sealed, not just with one seal, but with seven seals. And we saw this previously in the book of Revelation in chapter one, the number seven all throughout the book of Revelation is a number of completion. It's, it's the number of perfection. So when it says it is sealed with seven seals, this is highly class, classified information. This is sealed completely. So if you don't have the authority, you can't dare to even open this document. That's what's going on. So the question now becomes what's in this, right? What's in this document? Why is this such a big deal? Out of all the objects that God the Father could be holding on his throne, why is he holding this weird, strange, interesting scroll? Well, based on the rest of the book of Revelation, how it unfolds, and based on all the Old Testament allusions that point back to this moment, it's pretty clear that this document is the eternal plan of God. In other words, how things are going to unfold in the future, what's coming next. This is the final plan, right? Uh, in, in, I remember in F- Infinity War, right? uh, I, when you are uh, fighting this battle with, with Thanos, Doctor Strange, he looks at all these possible scenarios of, of how they can defeat this main villain called Thanos. And he says there's only one way to defeat this. Like there's only one plan that we have. It, if this fails, all fails. And so it's kind of like this, right? God, he has everything planned out. And in this plan, you know, we see that He's a plan to redeem the faithful and judge the wicked. His his full purpose for this universe, how he's going to restore all things and make things right. How he's going to repair this broken world. All of that information is in this document. But then a mighty angel proclaims with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? So God has a perfect plan that is written in this, this highly secured scroll. In other words, when, when this angel is saying, who is worthy to open this, he, it's not about really opening it up, it's about executing it. He's asking, okay, God has a perfect plan, but who is worthy to execute this plan? Who is worthy to carry out this plan? Who can dare to approach the glory and the holiness of God, take this document out of his mighty hand and execute this plan exactly? Who can dare to do that? And for the first time in heaven, there is silence. And remember, you have 24 elders, you have all the mighty creatures, even this guy who's proclaiming this, he's called a mighty angel. And no one dares to say, I'm worthy. It's not about, are you willing? The question is, are you worthy? And in verse 3, we see that no one in heaven, meaning no angelic being, no one on earth, meaning no human being, no one under the earth, meaning no dead being. So no one who lived in the past, no one is living right now, no one who's living in the future, gonna live in the future, no one of heaven on earth or under the earth, no one is able open the scroll or even look into the scroll and at that moment John he just loses it it says in verse 4 I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it and and I don't know if you saw a man crying like it's a strange scene it's a very uncomfortable scene but this guy is weeping right he he is broken he is torn apart he is devastated he, he's losing it. And why? Because if you remember who John is, he's the last one standing right now. He was one of the original 12 disciples. Everyone else is dead at this point. He's, he's about 80 years old. He started following Jesus as a teenager. He, he followed Jesus as a teenager for three years. Why? Trusting in God's plans. He, he had faith in God's plans. When everyone else fleed on the cross, from the cross... He was the only disciple that was there. Why was he there? Well, he trusted in God's plan. Despite seeing his Savior dying on the cross, he said, well, God must have a plan. And then he sees the risen Lord, and then he sees Jesus actually go up. It's like, what just happened? (laughs) I thought you were going to defeat death and help me out here. After 40 days, he goes up. And and they're asking, Jesus, is now the time that you're going to restore your kingdom? And and all that Jesus says is, no, no, right now, no, just be my witness. Uh, Be my witness to the end of the earth. And then as they're staring into heaven, as Jesus is going up, an angel says to them, hey, don't worry, men of Galilee. The one who went up is going to come down just like he did. He's going to return. And it's been about, you know, 50, 60 years now. The church is struggling. His partners are dying. And he himself is on this island. Not by choice, but because he's been faithfully living out his faith. And as a result, he's, he's in exile. He's alone. And his future is, is unknown. And you might ask the question, why in the world would he still hold on to God? Because of the plan. Because of God's eternal plan. Because he, have, he has faith that one day Jesus can return. And restore all things make things new that he's gonna wipe away all tears every sorrow every pain every sickness that he's gonna uphold the faithful and judge the wicked that there will be no more sin that's what what's he's hoping he's hoping inside that's the only thing that's keeping him grounded at this point point. and for him to see that in front of his eyes to see the perfect plan of God right before his eyes, but seeing that no one is able to open it up, to execute it, it's devastating. Because that means everything that he went through just becomes in vain. All that he went through, it becomes meaningless if no one can fulfill the plan of God. That means this world is still going to be broken. That means this world is still going to be full of sorrow and sickness and full of death. By the way, isn't that why we, we follow Jesus in the first place, it's not because we love this world. It's because we believe that there's a better world after this life. It's because we believe that this is not the end of the road. We believe that, that one day Jesus will return and redeem his people, and that he's going to judge the living and the dead. We lay down our lives, our pride before him. We, we leverage our lives for his kingdom's sake because we believe that one day he will return. We endure through suffering because we know that one day there will be a greater joy. We are able to endure uh, through pain because we know one day that there, was a, there will be a greater glory. All that we do in the name of Jesus, we do it because we believe in this one plan that's in the right hand of the Father. Seated on the throne, and no one is worthy to open it. And so John weeps, but then one of the elders he speaks up and says, This stop it. In verse 5, weep no more, John. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, has overcome, so that he can open the scroll and its seven so who is this lion of judah and also the the root of david well this is the, the direct quote from revelation uh no genesis 49 and isaiah 11 all these allusions from the old testament it's just simply pointing us to one figure and that is the messiah the one who was promised to come and conquer and restore all things. The one who was promised in Psalm 2 to rule and reign. To, to basically establish an everlasting kingdom in and power and majesty. Everyone else will be bowing down at his feet. And we know that this figure, this Messiah figure, is Jesus Christ. So when John hears this, he's looking for Jesus. He's saying, where is this line of Judah? The one who's from the line of David. Where is Jesus? And so he looks around with, uh, with hope. With expectation, finally he is here. This lion is here. And so he's looking and looking and looking. But next to the throne, he doesn't see a lion. He actually sees a lamb. But it gets worse than that. It's not just a lamb, but it's a slaughtered lamb. It's a slain lamb. Look at verse 6. It says this. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So what exactly is going on here? So John, he looks for a lion, he doesn't see a lion. Instead, he sees a lamb, not just any lamb, but a slaughtered lamb. And the point of all this is that the lion is the lamb. Notice that this lamb, although it is slain, It is not dead, but it says it is standing right next to the one who's on the throne victoriously. So the lion who conquers is actually the slain lamb who is standing victoriously. As the lion of Judah, Jesus, he came to conquer our greatest enemies, fear, sin, death, sickness, even hell itself. Jesus Conquers so that he has all authority over all things and and but as a lamb we see that he was slaughtered he was slain he paid the ultimate price for our sins Jesus could have easily easily wiped out everything and push the restart button but while he's destroying all these enemies he's understanding that he needs to rescue people as well so he just can't come in as the lion but rather he comes in as a lamb so Jesus who was clothed in royalty and majesty the second person of the trinity came into history and he goes on to calvary to die and he rose again in victory and which is why he'll be the only one who is worthy to fulfill all of God's plan because God's plan is redemption and judgment and Jesus is able to do it all Jesus alone is worthy to fulfill all of God's plans because he alone is worthy to conquer all things This odd imagery of Jesus going from a lion to a lamb to a slain lamb. It's actually the exact portrait of Jesus' life. This is how Jesus lived his life. But it gets even better. Look at verse 6. It says, with seven horns, with seven eyes, and which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So as John is looking at this slaughtered lamb, there's something interesting about this lamb that, It's not just weak, but it's standing, and on on its forehead, there are seven horns, which are signs, symbols of power. So the word is that the seven horns, it symbolizes all power and authority, and it has seven eyes, meaning that it has all knowledge. So you see that this this creature is divine in nature and perfect in power. So this is not just a tiny lamb, but this is actually a ram, an exalted ram. So you go from a lion to a lamb to a star lamb to exalted ram. And, and this is the life graph of Jesus. I, I don't know if you ever did this before. You know, with one of the icebreakers that we do. Remember, we did this in youth ministry as well. We asked people to draw a life, graph, a life graph. So you start from your birth. And depending on how you feel about your life, you have ups and downs. And I don't know where you are right now in your life graph. But Jesus' life graph would look something like this. He starts way up there. Because he is, he is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He is exalted. He is the Lion of Judah. But he comes to this earth in the form of man. He humbles himself. And, and by doing so, he takes the form of a lamb. But it doesn't stop there. He gets slaughtered. He humbles himself to the point of death. Something to be noticed. And when he humbled himself to the point of death, God, the Father, exalted Jesus to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He has the name above all names, so he becomes His exalted ram. That's the life graph of Jesus. Now think about this. Imagine the life graph of Satan. And you can see this in Isaiah chapter 14 where it talks about Babylon, but a lot of people believe that this is a prophecy for Satan as well. If you look at that chapter, Satan, he starts out as, as, as one who wants power, who wants authority. He himself doesn't have authority, right? He's this angel, but he wants to be like God. It says in Isaiah 14, 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above. So everything is about him going up, 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 right? I'm going to make it to God. I'm going to take your place. But it says in verse 15, I'll make myself like the most high. But you, Satan, you are brought down to Sheol, the far reaches of the pits. And you are cast out away from your grave. So the life graph of Satan is like this. He starts out as an angel. He's a fallen angel. He tries so hard to exalt himself. And when he tries to exalt himself, God humbles him. Just keep that in mind. So now we see Jesus living this incredible life as the lion and the lamb. He is worthy to fulfill all of God's promises and all of God's plans. Because he alone is worthy to conquer all of our enemies And because of that, he alone is worthy of all praise. The rest of the chapter is really just this beautiful picture of praise. In verse 7, it talks about how this lamb, he just takes the scroll out of the right hand of the one who's seated on the throne. So he has the plan now. He's the one who's going to execute this. And first, we see in verse 8, the four living creatures and 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb. And they are holding each these harps, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, I don't have time to dwell upon this verse, but one thing to keep in mind, notice that on this throne, you have the prayers of saints. And what that means is this. God, he hears your every prayer. Every prayer that you ever offer to him. Every, every word that you utter before him. Even the ones that you're not sure that, 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 that he answered or you know for sure he, he did not answer. What it says here is he, he knows everything. Every prayer of the saints, every desperate word that you spoke before the Lord, it comes up before the throne. And you might question, why now? Why do you see all these prayers? Well, it's because when the lamb takes on the scroll and he begins to fulfill his plan, every prayer that you ever ask of God will be fulfilled. Everything that you ever wish that God will do in your life before the throne, through the Lamb, working out God's plan, those prayers are answered. And it says in verse 9, they sang a new song because there was never a moment like this in history. It says, worthy are you to take the scroll, to open the seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed, you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and, and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth so not only does God save his people through his son but the son makes these people the kingdom and the priests to God and so there's this new identity that's given to God's people and then you see just a choir of angels myriads and myriads thousands and thousands of angels which basically is unlimited angels singing worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and now In heaven and on earth, every creature comes out under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them and saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures say amen. And the elders fall down and worship. And so you see here from now on in the book of Revelation, anytime you see God's throne and the one sitting on the throne, there's always a mentioning of the lamb because that's where he's at. And one day, he will return. Jesus is worthy. He alone is worthy to accomplish all of God's perfect plan. He's able to do so because he alone is worthy to conquer all the enemies. And he is worthy alone for all our worship. And so how do we respond to a text like this? First of all, we can just be in all of who God is. But remember what I mentioned about the trajectory of Jesus' life and the trajectory of Satan's life. Because You and I, we're following one trajectory, one or the other. You're either living in this life, following Jesus, where you are humbling yourself, and as you're humbling yourself, you see God exalt you, or you're following the trajectory of Satan, where you are so prideful and arrogant, and you want to build a kingdom for yourself, a name for yourself, a career for yourself, and you are trying so hard to move up the ranks, to stumble and to, to step on people to, to work your way up feel like you're powerful feel like you're invincible and we see these two life crafts and how it ends one ends up being exalted one ends up being destroyed and the question is whose path are you on are you following Jesus and his life craft or are you following the life craft of Satan now, if you think about it, Jesus, he had all authority and power when he came as a man. It's not like he, he, he it's not like he wasn't God. And I love how one of my seminary professors explains this. Um, you know, in our seminary or even in my, our university, I remember the presidents and the vice presidents they always get a parking spot, right, a designated parking spot right before the off- president's office. Maybe I should ask for that. Like, you know, parking is, like, it's not right now, but if you move into the morning, parking is going be crazy, right, because <laughs> we have all these different ministries. Maybe I should ask for a, a parking spot, but, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But the presidents, they have a parking spot, but imagine one day you're, you're, you're in student parking, right, it's like a mile away. You have to walk and walk and walk just to get to your class. And so you park and you're like, oh, it's a hot day, I don't want to walk. But right next to you, you see a vehicle and it's the president's vehicle, just parks there and you get out of the car, he gets out of the car, and you guys are walking and having a conversation, and you're wondering in your head, well, is something wrong with this parking space? And, and, and you, you pass by it, and, and you recognize that that parking space is not occupied, it's actually empty. Now, if the president does not park, it, park in his parking space, does that make him less, of, of, less of, of, of a president? No. Does that mean he's just like a student? No. He has all the right and authority that's reserved for him. But instead, he makes just a choice to lay it down. But that doesn't mean that he lost his power and authority at that moment. What I'm trying to say is this. Jesus, he had all authority. He had a reserved parking spot in heaven. But instead of using his privileges, he used his life to save many. He, on a daily basis, gave up what is good to him he made a choice, a deliberate choice, to seek not the good of himself but the good of others and for the good of the Father. He temporarily gave up his privileges to fulfill a greater purpose. And that's the life that Jesus is calling us to live as well. We can have privileges, we can have all these things in this world, but if we follow the lifecraft of Jesus, then we realize that as we humble ourselves before the Lord and as we leverage our lives for God's kingdom, that he will work in mighty ways in our and the first step to make that decision is you actually humbling yourself and recognizing that you need Jesus. Simply saying that, Jesus, I am lost, I am a sinner, I've tried my best to make a life that's good for me, but now I give up. I see that I am unworthy to accomplish anything that is good, but I know that God's plan is perfect, that you are the perfect son, the perfect lion and the lamb, and alone you alone can accomplish all these things, so I throw my life at your feet. I trust in you. Some of us, we need to make that decision to humble ourselves to simply acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord and King of our life. For those who made that decision, then what we need to do is live in worship. The only response that you see from every other creature at this point is just endless worship. Once you made that decision to follow Jesus, then you live every day remembering that the one who sits on the throne has a perfect plan and that perfect plan is executed in his perfect son, Jesus Christ. And because of that, no matter what comes ahead, no matter what curveball gets thrown at your life, no matter what unexpected events pop up, sorrow, stress, sickness, loss, no matter what happens, you still have hope. Knowing that one day Jesus will fulfill All things, so in hope you can live and worship. And the last way that you respond to this passage is this notice that in this passage you have tribes and tongues and all sorts of people coming to the throne to worship. But the reality is, there are many people that do not worship the Lamb. There are many people who don't understand that God's perfect plan is fulfilled in the perfect Son, Jesus Christ. And if we understand that, then we got to spread the word and share the gospel, share the good news that there is no one worthy on earth or in heaven, but there's only one person, that is Jesus Christ. He is the lion and the lamb. He is the exalted ram. And when we place our trust in him, then we can live a life that is full, that is worthy, not because of what we have done, but because simply what he has done for us. So trust in him, worship him, all praise and glory to him. Amen? Let's pray.